Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we are going to take it strong to the hoop on this edition of the podcast. Coming up, Philip Rossman Reich of OrlandoMagicDaily.com and the Locked On Magic Podcast will join me to talk about the Orlando Magic actually making a playoff push. And also joining us today will be Brandon Helwig of UCSSports.com talking about the Knights run for March Madness. That'll all be coming up shortly, but first a couple of other items to note. There will be no Tiger at Bay Hill. Tiger Woods has opted to sit out this year's tournament because of a neck strain, neck injury. Says it's not his back, which has been his bigger issue over the recent years. But Tiger will not be making the rounds on Arnie's grounds this year, opting to hold out and play in the Players' Championship, the so-called fifth major, next week. And is Nick Foles going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars' next quarterback? That seems to be the growing sentiment as the man who has saved the Philadelphia Eagles the last two seasons, including a Super Bowl victory uh, the year prior. Looks like uh, Jacksonville wants him to be the savior. That will not be so much good news for Blake Bortles, who signed an extension before this last season. But both his season and the Jaguar seasons kind of went down to dust. Well, we've talked a lot in recent weeks about the 30-year history of the Orlando Magic. Today, we'll talk about the present-day team attempting to make the playoffs for the first time since 2012. Joining us on the program is the editor of OrlandoMagicDaily.com and the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Philip Rossman-Reich. Philip, it's a pleasure to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So let me take you back to the beginning of the season. So did you think, you know, the Magic would be sitting in the eighth spot? come the calendar turning March, sniffing the playoffs? I I definitely did not. I mean, I think they've they've outplayed my expectations. I I definitely thought they'd be better than they were last year just because of of health. But, you know, with a roster that was virtually the same, it it didn't feel like they were going to make that extra leap or or make that next step. Uh, You know, I certainly thought that they'd be kind of in the outskirts of the conversation maybe or about to fade uh, but I didn't expect them to be sort of in the driver's seat now as we enter the last 16, 17 games of the season. Yeah, so it's percentage points over Charlotte half game and in, in front of the dreaded heat. Um, how do you think their uh, prospects are for uh, making a run at this? I think they're definitely very, very good. Um, you know, I know they got Philadelphia coming up on Tuesday, but this is they still face one of the easier schedules, at least by the, uh, their opponent's record in the league. And that, that may not be saying a lot because Orlando struggled with some teams that are reportedly pretty easy. But the bottom line is the Magic don't have to go, back, go out west. Uh, they have one more long road trip, which, which is a very difficult road trip. Uh, but they, they have a lot of opportunities to pick up some wins at home. They've got a, a five-game homestand coming up. Uh, and they've got an opportunity to, to gain some separation while Brooklyn – and Charlotte go out west one more time. So uh, there's definitely a very real possibility, and I think a really good chance that they hold on to that eighth seed and, and make the playoffs. And, of course, we're recording this on a Monday night. They're in the midst of a three-games-and-four-day stretch. Uh, they, they come up with a big win in Indiana, but then they fall flat against Cleveland. You know, those back-to-backs are kind of killers on the road, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think people, uh, and I think they've caught some of these bad teams at the wrong time. I mean, coming out of the all-star break against Chicago, that, that's a coin flip game. Uh, it's always weird coming 
off a, off a long extended break. Uh, New York was playing a lot better. They just beat in San Antonio when they, when they came in and then Cleveland had been playing a lot better since Kevin Love returned. I think they'd won uh, for their previous six uh, and lost a, a game to Detroit with, with Love out, but that's no excuse. Those are games the Magic should have and did have a chance to win. And, and they blew it with, with, like you said, their own effort and kind of falling flat on their face. And so, Orlando right now has to kind of rediscover its rhythm and its path. And, and it, when they do that, I think that they're very capable of managing the schedule coming up. It is interesting. It's kind of like playing to the level of the competition. They lost to the Knicks, but then they come back against Golden State and knock off the, the Warriors. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. I mean, they've lost to the three worst teams in the Eastern Conference since the All-Star break. And yet in the same stretch, they've beaten Toronto, granted without Kawhi Leonard. They've beaten uh, Golden State without Kevin Durant, but still a very formidable Golden State team. And they've beaten Indiana, who was essentially at, at full force because Victor Oladipo is out for the year. So the Magic, you know, they clearly can get up and play some of these very, very good teams and, and they have a chance to beat anybody. And I think they should go into every game feeling like they can win it. It's just about their approach and their ability to execute. And, you know, from there, you know, they're, they're in the hunt. They're in the race, and, and it's all about their business and taking care of it. It is nice because, face it, the last several years have been very disappointing. What has Steve Clifford done to get this team on the upward tra- trajectory that they're on? You know, I think, I think a lot of it is just getting guys in the right roles, just finding the right combination of guys to, to play uh, together. I mean, obviously, Nikola Vucevic has taken a major step in his game. It's, it's, it's been a huge difference and a huge change for him. Uh, he's produced, he's scoring a lot more effectively and efficiently. His defense is a lot better. But it's, it's a lot of other guys just, just finding and fitting into their roles. I mean, Aaron Gordon, I think we all expected him to become the star, but he's passing the ball a lot better as he's averaging a career high in assists. So is Evan Fournier. Uh, DJ Augustin's just been a, a model of consistency all year long. They've got some nice bench contributions. Obviously, there's Terrence Ross, who's who's had a career year as well. But nice bench contributions from Wessa Wundu and and uh, Isaiah Briscoe as well. And Kemper just stepped in since the Mo Bamba injury. And guys are just kind of banding together. And, and and they found the right combinations. They found the right rotation that works. And they're playing really really well. And, and the young guys are getting better and better. And they've just grown in confidence as the season has gone on. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, I, I think, too, not many people thought that the playoffs would be within reach, and, and yet here we are. They're on, they've got, they got their destiny in their hands, so to speak, and it, it really is a great testimony to, you know, Steve Clifford came in with the, you know, great reputation as a defensive coach, and I think he's got the team bought into that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would probably surprise a lot of NBA fans. It might even surprise some Magic fans to know that Orlando is a top 10 defensive team. Uh, and I mean, if you would have told me based on the last six years that the Magic would be a top 10 defensive team with Nikola Vucevic as their anchor, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're playing really tied together defense. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're smart defensively. It's all about positioning with them because they don't have that great rim protector, although Jonathan Isaac's making a good case for that uh, at times. Um, they're just really, really solid defensively. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't give up a lot of second chance opportunities, and that's their formula for winning because they absolutely that's what they absolutely have to do if if they want to win basketball games. So the Magic at the trade deadline made a bit of a splash. Now, not more or less for this year, but for the future. So they they get Markel Fultz from the Sixers. They traded Jonathan Simmons, who wasn't really making an impact. First round protected pick and a second round selection in an upcoming draft. So. Did they overspend or is it still kind of early to kind of make that determination? I mean, it's, it's probably early to make that determination, but, but I, I think you can assess the deal uh, on, this, on this mode. 
the second round pick the Magic gave up is probably going to end up 33, 34, 35. I mean, it's, it's a high value for a second round pick. But on top of that, too, they you know, gave up Jonathan Simmons, who, like you said, wasn't really working out. And it's very possible that the Magic would have caught him this summer anyway. Um, and then that first round pick the Magic gave up uh, in 2020 is top 20 protected. So it, 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 you know, and it's from Oklahoma City. So it's, it's not likely to be a high value first round pick. And, if, and, and, and so it, in, in that reality, in that sense, the Magic acquired a guy who clearly has first, round, first overall pick talent. I mean, let's not forget he's two years removed from being the first overall pick. Uh, a guy that, that clearly has a lot of talent and, and, and even when he did play this year, was able to contribute something. I know a lot of people made a big deal about his shooting and, and it's a big deal and, and, it, and, and he's got to get healthy and he's got to figure out what's wrong with, wrong with him and, and get back onto the court and, and start hitting shots because that's essentially the point of the game. Uh, but at the same time, he was still passing the ball effectively. He was still a, a pretty solid defender for, for a young player as well. This is a guy that, that should be able to contribute when he's ready to play. Now, it's all about his health right now. And so this is the kind of big, splashy risk the Magic needed to take because if it pans out, the Magic not only have their point guard of the future, they might have a future star as well. And I think that's something that they're, they were looking to get and they had an opportunity to do it and they went for it. Yeah, I think the thing that probably scares Magic fans a little bit is the injury, and it, and that makes people think Grant Hill, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously, everyone's a little gun shy to bring to bring in someone and bring in someone who's on crutches, you know, hypothetic, hypothetically or, or theoretically. Um, but you know, this they really didn't give up a whole lot for him. You know, the Magic are still a few years away from playing free agency in any serious manner. Uh, so two years of Markel Fultz waiting on him isn't going to kill your books, isn't going to kill your roster a whole ton. Uh, and so I think that Orlando went, went for a big splashy move here uh, and, and we'll see if it pays off down the road. So what is your feeling about today's model in the NBA? We've got a lot of the super teams and all the superstars get together. It makes it tough for teams like Orlando to, to compete getting those free agents. So they have to rely on the draft, you know, it, you know, is Giannis going to stay in Milwaukee? I think it's not likely. But, you know, yeah. what do you think about today's model? I mean, I think that a lot of what we're seeing around the league isn't new. Um, I, I think a lot of people are, are getting hysterical about it, but, but I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a new phenomenon. Uh, there have been super teams throughout the entire NBA's history. I mean, NBA history is about, quote-unquote, super teams. So what, what might be different now is, is how coordinated players are about choosing where and who they play with. Um, that might be what's a little bit different. And, and there's a lot of factors that, that probably go into people's discomfort about that, that, you know, probably isn't worth, it probably is worth, it's definitely worth discuss, discussing, but probably not in, in this space and in, in this conversation. The reality is though, if you want to build a winning team, unless you're the Lakers or, or, or perhaps the Heat, you know, one of those desired locations, if you want to build a winning team, you have to draft that player. From the moment you draft that player, you have eight years to prove to that player that you can build a winning team. Uh, and, and if winning is truly what's important to them, rather than perhaps business interests or, uh, or a lifestyle or, or whatever, you have a, a ticking clock to develop the player into a star level player and then to build a roster around, around you. I think what's really different about the NBA today is how important it is to have smart management at all facets, to have a program and a franchise in place. You can't be a team like the Magic, uh, frankly, who, you know, kind of lucked into a super team 
1994 when they drafted Chris Webber and traded him for Penny Hardaway, drafted Shaquille O'Neal obviously the year before, and didn't really lay down the groundwork and the foundation to understand what, these, what it takes to keep these guys happy, what it takes to, to stay competitive, uh, and, and to compete year by year in the NBA. I mean, who knows if you take Shaq, Shaq at his word that he wish he would have stayed in Orlando. Who knows what would have happened if Orlando had given him a, a dream offer right off the top. Uh, would he have turned that down when he's still gone to L.A.? Who knows? I mean, my suspicion is he was always destined to L- go to L.A. That's where he always wanted to be. But who knows? It would have been tougher, I think, to turn that down. And again, that was a strange situation, too. But really, the, the best teams, you know, with, with almost without fail, have been built through the draft in some way or form. The Golden State Warriors were built through the draft. Stephen Curry drafted ninth. Klay Thompson drafted the year, the year after, a few years after. Uh, they didn't, Draymond Green drafted in the second round. They added free agents to supplement the guys they drafted. And I think that's really the approach that teams need to take. Draft smart, build smart, establish a culture, establish a strong organizational foundation, and you've given yourself every chance and every opportunity to hold on to these elite players and add more and be a desired location because that's where you'll win. Now, the Magic have to, uh, you know, got a player that they want to hold on to, I think, in Nikola Vucevic. So uh, what has been the great spin to his season and what, what has elevated his game? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is the trust that Steve Clifford has put into Nikola Vucevic. Uh, I, I think throughout this rebuild, everyone just kind of assumed Vucevic was there to eventually be replaced. I mean, I've certainly, I, I'm a big Vuce fan. I, I love the guy and I love his game. That I've certainly written that you can't let Vucevic go until that replacement is in place. And, and really, you look at it throughout his entire time in Orlando, they acquired Serge Ibaka essentially to replace him. They, they signed Bismack Biombo essentially to replace him. Uh, even even before then, they had Victor Oladipo and Tobias Harris and Aaron Gordon, and those guys were the focus of development over Nikola Vucevic. And all Vucevic did was score points, grab rebounds, just put up these incredible numbers. And sure, he had some defensive weaknesses, which which I think he's slowly improved on um, to become at least a break-even defender, if not if not a plus defender now. Uh, but the Magic never really ran anything through him. And I think what Steve Clifford did when he came into Orlando was he realized and said. Nikola Vucevic is our best player. We can't force Aaron Gordon to be a star. That's, that's probably not what he's best at quite yet. And so if we want to win, we got to play through our big man. We got to play through Nikola Vucevic. And that's just unlocked his game completely. He's scoring more effectively and efficiently, especially in the post. He's moving the ball a, a lot more effectively. I think he's third in the league in, in assists by centers. Um, and he, I think since the All-Star break, he's averaging like 5.7 assists per game. He's, he's up near six assists per game which is incredible for a center. Uh, and so I, I think that really what, what's happened is Clifford has created a defensive principles and sets that, that, that have enabled Vucevic to hold his own, and, and he's done a great job with that. It's not just about scheme. It's Vucevic's put the work in too. But offensively, Clifford's empowered Vucevic to, to be the center of attention, and that's helped him grow his game and helped the Magic ex- exponentially as well. Well, I'll tell you what, it's going to be an interesting uh, ride over the next uh, couple of months to see what happens if the Magic can finally break the ceiling and get into the playoffs. Philip Rossman-Reich and, um, again, OrlandoMagicDaily.com and the Locked On Magic podcast. And where can folks follow you on Twitter? Yeah, best place to follow me on Twitter is at philiprr underscore omd. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-R-R underscore omd. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter as well at omagicdaily. Excellent. Well, outstanding job on your coverage of the Magic, and we thank you for giving, you, giving us some time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
And as we record the podcast here on a Tuesday evening, the Magic have just been defeated by the Philadelphia 76ers, 114-106. to So they go 1-2 and two on the road trip. Philip will break it all down for you on his next Locked On Magic podcast. All right, now time to talk some UCF hoops. And joining us now is the man who covers all things UCF for the Rivals Network at UCFSports.com. Brandon Helvick joins us now. Brandon, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, this is uh, for you know anyone who's been a longtime you know UCF basketball fan, supporter, follower. I mean, this is as big as it gets, right? I mean, this week and and coming off that fantastic uh, win at Houston. Uh, top 10 team and, and, and sort of, I mean, you know, that's what everyone's been waiting for to, to have a chance to, to play meaningful games at the end of the season. And doesn't uh, just like uh, Saturday, it doesn't get any bigger now with uh, the first top 25 matchup in CFE arena history. So I know you're excited. I'm getting excited too. Yeah. I tell you what, think about last week. What a great six days it was. They blow out SMU by 47, a game they probably won in the first four minutes. They beat South Florida, the hated rival on the road, and then the big upset win and taking out the Cougars' 33-game win streak. We might look back on that week as maybe the greatest in UCF basketball history. For <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have to agree with that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's any argument. Well, when I kind of look at UCF basketball, I kind of, I kind of look at the modern era and I guess the era before that. I mean, it's kind of hard to compare. You know, Division Two, Final Four, and then, you know, the Torchy Clark days, that doesn't really correlate exactly, if you know what I mean, to UCF basketball in this day and age. So, kind of looking at in modern era, and, and I don't know, maybe modern era is, I don't know, Conference USA onward, because you, maybe you could say, you know, some of those A-Sun championship games, you know, maybe in 04, 05, maybe that was the biggest win, because that actually meant you win that game, you're going to the NCAA tournament. But, you know, since that era... Since UCF joined Conference USA in uh, in 2005-06 season, uh, I would have to say, you know, winning on the road, top 10 Houston, they'd only lost once the entire year. Game day was there. All the attention was there. And for UCF, after they pretty much got kicked in the face, which Houston came here to Orlando to win that game, to to battle back and and be there the entire way and then make clutch shots at the end and get, get some great stops, I mean, to me, that's the biggest win that I've seen, you know, I think in this, I guess you want to call it the modern era of, of, of UCF history. And, you know, I, I, it just it seems like it's kind of weird to get the, you know, the fan base and the community. I hope people recognize what this team has been doing. I know you've been following UCF a long time, too. And, and I just certainly hope, you know, they get recognized for what they've accomplished at this point And we end up seeing a, a packed out CFC uh, on, on Thursday night against Cincinnati. Well, I tell you what, in the Houston game, when the Cougars had clawed back, boy, I was thinking, you know, it's like reminding me of the Cincinnati game, like, here we go again. And then Aubrey Dawkins hits that beautiful three-pointer and the Knights wrestle control. It was finally nice to see them grab the game, you know, by the throat and, 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 and take it home. Yeah, I mean, you, you're kind of wondering how are they going to respond, you know, saying the Cincinnati game, as you mentioned, was a game that... Maybe they let get get away, but in that environment, I mean, I I, don't, I was talking to Dan Forcella, the sports information director at UCF for men's basketball, and 
You know, sometimes it's hard. I mean, you, it, it came through on on, on, on on television, just the atmosphere and how loud it was. And he, I think he was saying that it was one of the most raucous environments that he's ever been in. And, and for UCF to, you know, those players not to, not to flinch and, and, and not to, you know, kind of be, you know, in awe of that moment or, or, or kind of, you know, seeing it that way. I mean, for them to, to step up and come up big at the end. I mean, and look, look at Taco Fall. I don't have his stats in front of me, but just – Really, his stats over the you know the last you know week or two. I mean, he's playing out of his mind. Where Colin Smith had a great game against against uh, Houston as well. But you know, for Taco and Colin, those guys to be peaking late. I mean, you know, and if there's still some season left, you got to play Cincinnati and then go on the road and play play Temple in conference uh, tournament. But you know, it's certainly uh, I think people have got to get excited with the way. Some of these guys are playing late, and what that could potentially mean for for the for the NCAA tournament in a few more weeks. Well, a lot of the uh, the, the the analysts and the bracketologists uh, have UCF pegged in. Are they a lock? That's uh, you know, I, I I would like to see them take care of a little bit more business because you know we've seen in football what happens when things are left in the hands of committees. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, just, I don't think you want to go 0-3, but I think the fact you beat Houston, and it's one of those, you know, what they call quadrant one this year. Of course, everyone's kind of had to get a crash course in what the net rankings are and and what that's all about. Because, you know, before it was RPI and all this and that, but, you know, they, they, you know, they have this new formula. It's kind of a proprietary formula. You don't really know how, you know, what's sometimes weighted more than others. Um, you know, they haven't shared the actual formula uh, but in, surprisingly, UCF went up more spots for you know obliterating SMU than they did for beating Houston. They updated day to day. Last I checked, you think UCF was 29th, 30th? I got to see where that is right now. Uh, but they're in a good spot. You know, they got an important quadrant one win. They hadn't had any uh, South Florida that win. You know, the way they do it, I think if it's if it's a road win and the team's top 75, it counts as quadrant one. Well. South Florida's kind of been hovering in that 72 to 80 kind of range. So I think they kind of dropped out from being a, a you know, quadrant one uh, team right now. So for, so for you to have that, I think winning against Houston on the resume is, is huge. And, you know, you don't want to go 0-3. You know, obviously that would mean you're losing the last two of the regular season and then you're one and done in the conference tournament the following week. Um, you know, but I think they've done enough to get in. I, you know, they say it's a weak bubble this year. Uh, but at this at this at this stage, I think you're basically you're not just playing to get in; you're playing to improve your your seat. You know, but before that Houston game, and you know these bracketologists and everyone with the predictions, they were kind of pegging UCF to be one of those you know last teams in, and that could potentially mean you know you play one of those first four games in Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. on that you know on that Tuesday night, you know before the tournament, which. You know, I guess they, they count that as this NCAA tournament, but it doesn't really feel like it. Like, if you were to play in that game and lose, does it kind of feel like you went to the tournament? You know, so you just were hoping you were in a good enough spot where you avoid playing that game. And, you know, barring maybe going 0-3, I think they have got out of that, you know, that area where they would be a, a risk to be one of those last teams in. But, you know, right now it's about playing for, for, for seeding. I mean, I was I was looking today, and, and some of those sites kind of have UCF in that maybe ninth, ninth seed range. If they were to beat Cincinnati on Thursday, that'd be another huge win. A, a top top 20 team would clearly be another a quadrant one victory. I mean, who knows? I mean, UCF, 
you know, wins out regular season, you know, even if they don't win the conference tournament, they win a couple games and they get to the championship game. I, I think it's very possible UCF could inch themselves up to, you know, be, maybe being a, a sixth or seventh seed. I mean, you kind of want to be out of that, you know, eight, nine game because if you win the first round game, your reward is most likely playing the number one seed in that second round. And, you know, so to that end, you almost want to be like a tenth or, you know, or some other lower seed where, you know, maybe it has a little bit of a, of, a, of a friendlier path to kind of advance. But, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I know everyone is just excited that UCF is finally at the point to be talking about NCAA tournament and actually talking about a chance to not just get there, which is, you know, what everyone was excited about in 2004 or 2005 when UCF was at the gay sun. You're excited to get there. You know, maybe they could pull off a major upset, but now it's it's different. It's not only, you know, you're talking about getting there, you're talking about, you know, winning some games and with the way UCF has been playing of late, you know, um, you know, I don't know how far they, they can they can possibly take things, but it seems like to me, I with depending on getting the right matchups and the right seating, there to me there's a chance that UCF could be a, a, a sweet sixteen tech team. Well, the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats are up next. Uh, the last contest, they held Jaron Cumberland, their star, in check. But Justin Jennifer really hit some clutch shots down the stretch for them. And as you know, Cincinnati likes to, uh, I like to use the term, they like to make their games rock fights. And I'm suspecting we'll get more of the same Thursday night. It's going to be a very physical, low-scoring game. They're going to wait to the end of the, the possession to make their take their shots. UCF kind of has the same MO at times, so it's probably going to be like a 55-53 game, <laughs> you know, but that's just the way they, they play, and, and I'm expecting a great atmosphere. I mean, you know, I know, you know, the, the school, and, and everyone's kind of been promoting this game. I think it's a sellout CFE. I think it's the hashtag they've been using. Um, you know, I've been kind of looking at the ticket sites, Ticketmaster, over the past couple of days to he was still out there and everything, and and, and just, you know Cincinnati's one of those teams. You know they've got, you know, you know they have a long story basketball history. They got a lot of fans, you know, in this area um, that I'm sure are going to be coming out to that game. I remember um, last year in the conference tournament at Amway, which was great. It was so close. You know, Cincinnati had a ton of fans there. I know they had fans that traveled, but they have a lot of fans in this uh, central part of the area. So it should be a great atmosphere and. You know, um, you know what a, a win we have. I mean, UCF getting a win. What better send off could there possibly be for you know the, the senior class with BJ Taylor, Taco Fall, Chad Brown, Dayon Griffin, just some guys who have meant a lot to, to the team over the past few years. And you know, I certainly hope that they see a, a packed out house on Thursday. I would definitely love to see that as well. Another game Thursday night that has a bit of a UCF connection is Iowa Wisconsin. Former UCF coach Kirk Spiral is going to be the head coach for that one for the second game of Fran McCaffrey suspension. So we hope uh, Coach Spiral has great success there. And it's always fun. I had him on the on my podcast a couple weeks ago to talk about the 25th anniversary of UCF making March Madness for the first time. And uh, he was certainly one of the greatest guys I've ever been around. And, you know, he has his he has his place in UCF basketball lore. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was always a fan of, of Kirk. And, you know, when I got started covering UCF, he was the head coach. And I always enjoyed getting to know him and his family, his wife and son Drew and, and, and you know, Dustin Spiraw and, and Brooke and all those people. And, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best. You know, obviously, when, when UCF moved on and I would have 
got a, a pretty nice place uh, where he is in Iowa. That was, you know, where he went to school. So he's got a pretty good gig there. And, you know, we won't get into why he's the, the, the acting head coach. You know, there's been some controversy with, uh, with his head coach, Fran, for some words that he said about officiating or just kind of blow-ups that he seems to have every <laughs> year or two. But he'd always been a big fan of Kirk. And I know a lot of people just, you know, kind of look back on, you know, for me, especially some of those, uh, you know, 04, 05 years were a lot of fun. And even that 07 team, you know, was kind of like a, like a, like a heartbreaking uh, way to end things with, you know, UCF. And they clawed all the way to what a, 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 a two seed in the Conference USA tournament, and were playing really well. You know, I think that was the last year of the old UCF arena, if you recall, with the old gymnasium where they played, and some really big wins down the stretch. And then you know everyone was so excited, went to Memphis for the conference tournament, and uh, Rice. You know they had this really good player named Morris Allman, and he hit mm-hmm. a, a last second three pointer to, to upset UCF. So that was a disappointing end to that one. But but I have a lot of fond memories of those seasons. You know those mid mid two thousand, mid to late two two thousand seasons. So I saw you did that. That was a pretty pretty cool interview a few weeks ago. So that was awesome. I hope people will go back and and, and listen to to hear what Kirk had to say. Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, of course, uh, spring practice underway for football. And I know they won't settle the quarterback situation in two days but the fan base is certainly very, very interested in what's going on. Any any nuggets from practice that stand out? Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of handle the, the whole competition. I mean, with this day and age, with, you know, everyone worried about, you know, transfers and players being disgruntled, I don't expect it. I mean, unless there's something that happens where one guy is just clearly heads and shoulders above the other, unless that happens, which I kind of doubt it will. I don't, I don't predict Hypo will announce a starting quarterback after spring football. They're going to let it ride into, you know, preseason camp and probably, you know, even if, even if there's buzz that, oh, this guy is clearly, and I don't think they'll officially say anything until the week before the first game. That's just my guess. Um, it's really hard to know kind of what's going on. I mean, we don't really have access to really see practice. Uh, we were able to go for like 15 minutes of what's considered pre-practice on Monday and, you know, they're just doing drills and just doing handoffs. So we're not really seeing anything. We're not really seeing them throw very much. We're not certainly not seeing them in a scrimmage situation. Um, you know, the way I look at it, you know, Brandon Wimbush obviously has the experience. Obviously, he's going to be a little behind in terms of his system terminology and all that stuff. But he's a smart guy. I'm sure he'll get caught up quickly. Um, you know, and Daryl Mack, we saw what he could do. I mean, what he did in the second half against Memphis in the conference championship game, I mean, you could make the argument that that was the best half performance of any quarterback in UCF history. I with agree. The way that he played and, and really just came back from a dismal first half, you know, fumbled the ball, and, and you know, I'm sure he had nerves and, you know, a lot of the line, a lot of pressure after McKenzie went down and not wanting to break the streak and all that stuff. So, you know, he definitely can do it. And, you know, Dylan Gabriel obviously comes in with a lot of buzz. Now, I wouldn't expect – you know, someone that young to to earn the job. I mean, but you never know. I mean, <laughs> you never know what can happen. I mean, so he's, it seems like a lot of people are praising him after the first. Like, oh, we'll see. You know, it's kind of a weird schedule. Um, usually, they don't take a break for spring break. I mean, usually they'll start spring practice after spring break. But UCF will practice three times this week. Then they'll take a week off because it's spring break at UCF. Then they'll resume practice um, the following week. So. 
uh, we'll have access again following that and, you know, maybe try to pick people's brains. I'm sure, you know, the players or coach went to say and not to give anything away about who's maybe standing out, but I'm sure some nuggets will probably surface by the end of spring. That sounds great. So Brandon Helwig from UCFSports.com, thank you so much for the time. We certainly appreciate it. I, I always enjoy being on, and uh, any any time you want me on, I will be more more than happy to do so. Th- thanks for having me, Jeff. Great stuff there from Brandon, and we hope to see a boisterous, full, loud CFE arena come Thursday when number twenty Cincinnati takes on your twenty fifth ranked UCF Knights. And I tell you, the way they've been playing down the stretch, it's great to see them peaking at the right time. The bigs are all playing well. We're now getting some points off the bench from Deion Griffin. He gives us 8 to 10 points a game off the bench. That could be very, very big as uh, they make their madness march happen. We will close with this this evening. Indiana of Pennsylvania, they were playing Edinburgh a couple nights ago for a the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference West Division title. Also for their head coach, Joe Lombardi, his 300th career win was at stake. They were there, but their uniforms were not. So rather than having to forfeit, it turns out that Edinburgh, you know, doing some, uh, doing some good sportsmanship here, they gave them their... Old red uniforms, while Edinburgh wore white. And IUP ends up winning the game big. But you got to love the sportsmanship. It could have been, uh, they could have made a stink about it, but you got to like that kind of camaraderie. And that's one, another one of the things I love about small college basketball. Great, great stuff. So, boy, action-packed show today. Lots of hoop action. So, again, check out uh, the game Thursday. UCF Cincinnati, that should be a barn burner. And definitely will enjoy that. And uh, don't forget, JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. You can listen to all the podcasts, subscribe. And you can also email the show, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. We are here to answer your questions, take your gripes, take your compliments if you got any of those. We like that a lot. Don't beat me up like I got beat up on Twitter just recently. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients, so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog in the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.